I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. This is from Garden and Gun magazine. We tell stories to remember, and when the author Pat Conroy died in March 2016 of pancreatic cancer, his wife Cassandra King Conroy knew there was only one way to channel her grief. I would go back to writing, she says. That would be what I would have to do to go on with my life without him. Cassandra, a lower Alabama native, had met Pat 21 years earlier and after their friendship blossomed into a long-distance courtship between her home state and Pat's cottage on Fripp Island, South Carolina, the two married in 1998. The couple eventually made their home along a creek in Beaufort, where Cassandra, the best-selling author of such novels as The Sunday Wife and Same Sweet Girls, still lives, writes, and serves as the honorary chair of the Pat Conroy Literary Center, which she co-founded. Cassandra King Conroy is on The Literary Life with me today because she's just published her memoir called Tell Me a Story, My Life with Pat Conroy. And this is what the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has to say about it. Her salt-of-the-earth decency and dignity shine like mica in a creek bed. She was just the down-home curative his tormented soul needed. I need someone to rescue me for a change, he tells her. Cassandra, welcome to Books and Books once again. Once again. Yes. And welcome to The Literary Life. 
Thank you. It's great to be here, Mitch. Always great to be in. You've written a remarkable book as um, as Pat made his way down to Miami quite a few times. Um, even before he met you, he would come to the Miami Book Fair and he'd come to the bookstore. But let's kind of start at the beginning where you do in the book. And I'm curious, why don't you tell the story, you tell it so well about how you and Pat met. Well, it's pretty embarrassing, but you know, I knew I was going to have to tell things like this. <laughs> Bad thing about writing a memoir, right? Okay, so uh, he he was the keynote speaker at a, a book festival in in Birmingham, and I was teaching a small college outside of Birmingham at the time, and uh, my first book was supposed to come out. And it was supposed to have been out in time for me to be a presenter at the conference. However, small press and these things happen, and it wasn't ready. And I think uh, the librarian in charge sort of took pity on me and invited me to come meet meet the other writers anyway at a reception. It was uh, on a night that I uh, usually did nothing but but grade freshman comp papers, you know, essays every night. But I had two uh, parties to go to. So I was running late to the reception and had really wanted to meet Pat Conroy because I had I had read, you know, started with The Waters Wide, read all his books, um, and had even used some um, examples of some of his beautiful imagery. His metaphors, you know, he could just do metaphors like no one else, I think, and uh, similes for for my for handouts for my freshman comp uh, classes. So I thought it'd be so neat to meet him and uh, be able to tell my students. But I was told when I got there that it was uh, he had already gone. I had missed him, so I was not expecting to see him. When I was at the refreshment table, just sort of stuffing my face <laughs> and hoping no one noticed because I was starving. <laughs> and a friend brought this man. He was, I couldn't imagine that he was a writer. He was too sloppily dressed to be a writer. <laughs> that was Pat, right? <laughs> that was Pat. If you know Pat, you know immediately who it is. And I had seen him out of the corner of my eye and thought maybe he was one of the the librarian's husband who'd been out gardening and she made him come <laughs> along or, you know, something like that. And we talked earlier about how <laughs> I remember when he came to the book fair a number of times, he came with his Crocs, oh, right? Yes. Well, he hadn't upgraded to Crocs at this <laughs> point. He was in his beaten up dock siders and Always baggy, rumpled khakis. You might remember that. And he thought, and he had on a plaid flannel shirt. And and later, when I teased him about it, he thought he was dressed up for the occasion. You know, <laughs> he was the keynote speaker. <laughs> uh, but but anyway, when when we met, I was um, uh, someone brought him over and said, "Here's Pat Conroy." You know, he didn't leave after all. And and I was so taken back because I wasn't expecting to see him that I just blurted out, oh, God Almighty. And and Pat said, well, no, not quite, but close enough, you know. And uh, so that was, you know, pretty awkward start because then I started just 
you know, blabbering like a fool saying, oh, my God, I'm so glad to meet you. And I've been a fan of your work since the water's wide. And and the reason I'm eating now is because, you know, I had this other thing to go to and I thought I'd missed you. And I was just going on and on when he said. But you had just published. You were about to publish I was about to publish well. my book, but I wasn't about to tell him right. that. Yeah. And and. Then my former writing professor came over and and told him. He said, "I, I guess my my student is a former student is telling you about her first book coming out." And and Pat, because I was eating and I have, you know, <laughs> and told Pat, but he said, "I didn't know you were a writer. I thought you were the caterer." Right. <laughs> you know? I love that yeah. story. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. So it's crazy. You know, it's all crazy. And then, and then he pursued you. He uh, he called you. You had to go. You know, you were teaching at the time, and he uh, he called you. And I, yeah, I he, I don't I don't to this day think he was pursuing me to start with. You know, my my friends tease me later about it when we actually did start courting. And said, "Oh, I saw that coming all along, you know." But you know, I didn't. I really didn't because he was—he was—he called me first of all to talk about my book. He gave me a blurb for, offered to give me a blurb. I did not ask him <laughs> for my first book, and um, and he just started calling me, and we sort of became phone friends before. Yeah, and what I loved reading about those early phone conversations is. So much of it was about books. You write early on that Pat's favorite subject was books. Always, right? always. And what amazed me so much, Mitch, is he—he he was a book collector, and uh, I'm sure you I were that. on, uh, yeah. like other book uh, store owners, were delighted to see him come in your store because he couldn't leave without a handful right. of books. So, but also there was that the what was the store in Atlanta that oh, uh, um, old. The oh, old New York, New York bookstore. Book, bookstore. And they published, Absolutely. they actually published some of the the really early, yeah. early, early ones. Yeah, 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 reissued, reissued them. And, uh, uh, but, but, um, so he would always want to know what I was reading, what my students were reading, you know, and, and uh, what the, how he wanted to hear about some of their essays and and how god-awful they were, you know. Or if, if so, I would tell him some of the funny things, you know, that they 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 wrote. And uh, <clears throat> he just, but he just got a, he, he really enjoyed. And, and I wouldn't remember, he would always remember what I had said I was reading last. And it might be a couple of months before he called me again. And he'd say, well, what did you think about such and such when you finished it. And I was like, oh, God, I don't even remember reading it or something. Well, he was incredibly brilliant with a memory like a steel I, trap. never seen anything like it, yeah. No, I, and I would meet him intermittently over the course of presenting him at the book fair and other yeah. places, and he would remember that I had kids. Absolutely. He would remember everything about it. It Absol- was so interesting. Yes. About, and he drew you in in a way that you know that very few people do so you felt like an intimate of his even though you didn't really know him that well yeah I mean, you but did, you always but felt felt like you you, you always know, felt that you, you always did. felt like you did. you know you write also in the book that um after his death you would meet his readers and so many of them were, were sort of unbelieving 
that such a larger-than-life personality would no longer be with us. So <clears throat> what, what was it like living with someone who had such a larger-than-life personality? Well, he was exactly as as he is in his books. He, he was the hero of each of his books. Um, he was... He was the hero of each of his books, and, and his siblings always teased him about, about that because he, he made himself, you know, just the, this golden boy that had this <laughs> great personality and, and you know, was, was the star of the show and the hero that saved the so day. He was, and, he was idealizing himself. Yeah. And, and, uh, so we would tease him about that, but uh, I mean, he was he was Will Will McLean and and the Lords of Discipline. He certainly was was Ben Meacham, right? And the great Santini and Jack McCall and Tom Wingo. I mean, he was he was each of his <laughs> heroes. Well, he was each of the heroes, but even you know, even in the book, which I is one of my favorites, is the memoir about basketball. In fact, oh yes, I just love that book. And yeah. and he was, you know, he was heroic in that, but he wasn't overly heroic. Right. He talked yeah. about his weaknesses in that as well, which oh, I always oh, felt. Yeah, I, the I, vulnerability was there. Right, and it always was. And, and I you know, even and when he so. spoke, when he spoke to the public. He was always talking about his vulnerabilities. He was right. always kind of well. That's one way that his readers connected with him so strongly. I think is 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 because uh, because he did, and he was willing to to discuss. Um, yeah, you know, he was willing to discuss his weaknesses and so forth. But when he but when he fictionalized himself, he he was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. Aren't we all? <laughs> oh, no, I mean it's irresistible. I can't help yeah, it. I, exactly. I, I, I make the um, the uh, protagonist, you know, my female protagonist is gorgeous and sexy and brilliant, and you know, just me if I were. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what, I, what you also, you know, we're we're here at the at Books and Books at the cafe at Books and Books. Someone just brought some tea, so feel free to take a sip of your tea. And we and we have some amazing desserts, which we'll be trying soon as well. But while you're sipping your tea, I wanted to ask you this question: um, Knowing you as I know you, and knowing your work. You're so much more of a private person than Pat is in terms of your own work and in terms of your own interaction with your own readers. How did that inform the way you approached this memoir? Or did you know that you'd have to approach this memoir in a different way than all your other work? I, I didn't know what I was getting into at first. And so I had to do some pretty serious editing because my editor at William Morrow uh, called me and and she said, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the stories of Pat, and, you know, and so forth. But I've read it and I don't know a thing about you. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I kind of went, oh, 
dear, does that, do you mean I have to talk about myself? Because I am, I'm a private person. And, and, uh, she said, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to need more than what you're giving us now. And so I really did have to go back and, and, but it was, it was kind of interesting, Mitch, because I've never done it before, except fictionalize some of, some of the things I've gone through. And once I started, I could kind of see how Pat, you know, because he, you know, everything he wrote was so autobiographical, and he bared his soul totally. Um, there was something. There was something uh, really um, kind of therapeutic about about revealing some things about myself, like the depression right. that that I didn't talk about right. had not talked well, about that, one that scene that scene where you're you know where you found out where, where everyone's gone and you're left in the house and oh, you're, yeah. you just break down completely but the yeah. thing that you did which is so conroy-esque in a sense <laughs> is that you retain that sense of humor you you know there's humor all throughout this book you know yeah. did you did you know that you could channel that sense of humor as well? Or was Pat sitting on your shoulder <laughs> saying, I, I need to be a little self-deprecating yeah, and funny and all yeah, of that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. But also, I, humor is, is just so much a part of, of, you know, how I deal with with everything in life. I, Pat and I shared a really dark Morbid sense of humor. You would have to. I would. Uh, yeah. If, if you were going to survive with Pat, you, you had to. Keep well, no. Up I love. There's a scene. Here you are in the opening of the book, and you're describing when you discover, you know, tragically about the pac pancreatic cancer, yes. and you're trying to, you know, navigate getting Pat to the hospital and for the biopsies and all that. And you actually say, as all things Conroy tend to be. The whole drama quickly turned into a comedy of errors. Oh yeah, everything <laughs> did. Everything did. Even uh, I have a couple of things, and I sort of cringe writing these that that happened, but they did. You know, uh, when he was home with hospice just a couple of days before he died, and he was not really present with us. But we, as as these things happen. That we we live outside the city limits, so we have septic tanks that chose this time when we had a house full of family to uh, malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to, I mean, in a big way. So they had to come dig up our backyard. We had backhoes. And, and digging up our backyard when everyone around us knew that, you know, Pat Pat was there dying. And Pat's brother says, oh, my God, the neighbors are going to think we're going to bury him in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was just what we all needed to relieve the tension right. of the, you know, gave us a temporary <laughs> reprieve from the horrible, you know, sadness of of you know, his sick room. And I think the irony of it for me and probably for you, and you write about this, is that I think a few years before he got sick, he had come to the Miami Book Fair and I had, he was in the best health that I had ever seen him in. Yeah. Actually, he yeah. was thinner than ever. He was, 
you know, as lively as ever, and and that is the irony of it. It it? it was terrible irony. It was uh, because Pat never took care of himself. The whole time we were together, and there was some real health scares. He, uh, that larger-than-life personality carried over into overindulging and, and, you know, drink and eating and rich foods and just not just not taking care of himself. He was he was diabetic, but he would eat any dessert that, you know, I mean, right. he never, he never uh, gave in to that, which was, you know, really not, not good. Um, and, and he would get on kicks of exercising, but he didn't really. Uh, he would, it wouldn't last long. About the last four years of his life, he was the healthiest he had ever been. He had had such a bad health scare, and uh, uh, I, I hate to say it this way, but it was it's what it took to get his attention. And so he had been really healthy. He gave up drinking altogether. He was eating a healthy diet, and he was working with a personal trainer every day. And so when he got sick, he said to the doctors that he that was proof he was proof that healthy living would kill you faster than anything <laughs> that is that is That's pure pat huh yeah you know you know the other thing about him that i is a takeaway for me a little bit like what i was talking about earlier about the bond that you always felt in his presence. You know, one of one of my favorite photographs that we have in the store of an author. You know, we have these this wall of author photographs. Yeah. Is a photograph of Pat and Dave Barry with Dave Barry's head on Pat's shoulder. Yeah, I love you that. Know, this <laughs> sense of affection that they felt for one another. He and he was he was very affectionate with with people, and he was. But he was totally. Full of Blarney, uh, trust me on this. He was he was a true Irishman in every sense of the word, and uh, so he would he would say things. Some I, I did I I did another podcast recently where someone started out with a quote from Pat that floored me. So I had I couldn't I didn't know how to respond. And something Pat wrote. He said that he didn't hang hang around with other writers because most writers were meaner than serial killers. Oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> so how do you respond to that? Yeah, you you know, did Pat really feel that way? And I was just, you know, I had to pick my jaw up off. But there Why were so many writers. Say things but, like that. But but I think <laughs> that he was also one of the most generous people around. <laughs> he was. He blurb any writer. He, he did. He you know, did. He was so supportive. And and he, he loved other. He was just he adored other, and other writers yeah. adored him. I know he was. Full I of remember it. we. I kind of think it was Josephine Humphreys. <laughs> I think years and years and years ago, and 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 just Joe Humphreys. This was way long time ago, you know, before Prince of Tides and all that. And she was just going on and on about him as well. And I just think other writers just always adored Pat Conroy. Well, we after he died, we put a little book together, right? uh, Yeah, and uh, the uh, I think that's the one the University of South Carolina Press did. So your life started out 
Um, well, I don't know how, exactly how it started out, but <laughs> your life took a big swerve after you met Pat. You were, you were, and, and you're very revealing about it. You were uh, married and you had a son, right? Yes. And you were married I to- I had the son before. I you was had a married. son before. Yes. And you, mm-hmm. you were married to I was a, a single mother for a while and then I was married a preacher. Right. And I, uh, for two decades- I was a wife of a uh, very um, traditional um, minister, and and uh, I tried my best <laughs> to um, make that work. It it really um, it wasn't it wasn't the best, you know, for either of us. It really wasn't. Yeah, so. The marriage was troubled, and you use yeah. some of that in your work. Yes, like the Sunday wife. The Sunday wife is very autobiographical, very much, very much, much like that. Um, but there's <clears throat> no one more different than Pat. <laughs> so, yes, and, yeah. and I love this scene. Oh, you know, you talk about Pat's language. Pat would just oh, he would just throw off uh, yes. all kinds of words uh, <laughs> without even thinking twice about it. He had every different way of using a curse word. I I've never heard of anyone who who could use them so creatively <laughs> yes. and so colorfully. I have a, a sort of a trash mouth myself, but I was always envious of his, you know, some yeah. of his terms. So, so who are who who? If if you could speak to them, you know, as you know, as a couple, you and Pat, two writers, how did you manage that? Did you write? Um, did you each read each other's work? And did he read yours and you read his? <laughs> did you do it separately? Did you have separate we, studios? We had, yeah, we had totally separate rooms, and they were and it just coincidentally. We lived on Fripp Island for a long time, then we moved into Buford. In both places, our writing rooms were as far apart in the house as they could be. You know, but the way the house was, each house was laid out, so we wouldn't see each other during the day at all. It worked out. It worked out really well uh, for for us. Um, a lot of people would say, "Did Pat read your work? Did he give you advice and stuff like that?" And it's so. I think this is so typical of marriage because when we first were married, we were so enamored of the idea that we were both writers and we understood each other. And, you know, I could, I could ask Pat, hey, what's another word for such, you know, such and such or, or something like that. Or I've reached this, you know, this, this point in my book where I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out whether this, you know, my plot should go this way or that way, blah, blah, and stuff. That lasted about one book. <laughs> And then, you know, as, as the marriage and the books went on, we, you know, he would have to say, or I would say, now remind me, what are you working on now? <laughs> you know? Yeah, he was involved in his own work. I am not sure. And, you know, I also <laughs> noticed, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you can correct me if I am, but I've always known you as Cassandra King. That was yes. what you always wrote under. That was your name. And in this book, you chose to add Conroy to that. I wouldn't exactly say I chose to. I think it was chosen for oh, really? me by the publisher, my publisher. The publisher well, uh, to it, do that. since it was about uh, Pat and us, Pat and my, our, our life together, uh, she was thinking that, that I would want it um, shelved with, with Pat's books. But I'm going back to 
That's that is my full legal name, but I'm not going to use Conroy after this book. <laughs> no, but I think it, it certainly works well for yeah, this book. Yeah, well, sure. at least you know it sort of says who's because there've been two or three books written about Pat since he died. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. the title that you chose. Oh, now now the title was never in doubt for me uh, because Pat, uh, for a couple of reasons, Pat was one of the greatest storytellers that I've ever known. Never known anyone who could tell a story like like he did. And and but the other main reason is that he always wanted to hear everybody else's story. And and that was one way that he encouraged other writers is he he would say, You've got a story to tell. He he did that with me with my first second book when I really wasn't sure I wanted to write it, and he said it's the the stories that you're afraid to write that are important. He could draw a story out of anyone and did so many times. I've met so many of his readers since then that that said you know I wrote such and such even you know if it's something like my family history or just something like that a letter to someone I I'd, I'd had a difficult relation just what it because Pat asked me about it and told me that's what I needed to write about he got to the story that's that's so remarkable so the yeah. title the title makes perfect sense yeah there was I wouldn't have, I would have put up a fight about that <laughs> and and when you think about it, um, since he was such a great mentor, are there any authors that you can talk about who were so influenced early on by Pat, people that you know? Yeah, or, or say that they have, so I guess I'm, I'm okay, you know, saying that. Um, certainly Rick Bragg, um, uh, Wiley Cash, Ron Rash. And you know, female. A lot of female writers. We have uh, a lot of local, uh, low country women. We had Dottie Frank, who was a friend of ours, that wrote about the low country. Mary Alice Monroe, uh, Patty Henry. So, so many of these. These are all people yeah, he young, encouraged. Young women that yes, yes. Yeah. That he, well, that's a that that's what a wonderful sure. what a wonderful legacy that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you talk about him being a storyteller, I can remember time after time of him in front of a thousand people telling those stories. And, and, you, and you know, Mitch, he would tell the same ones over and over <laughs> because a lot of times we were traveling together and I had to <laughs> sit in but they on They seem very fresh. They, I always would laugh. I knew what was coming. He would tell these wonderful stories about his dad or, you know, and growing up. I mean, they were wonderful, but they were also horrible. But he made them funny. And, and uh, you know, it just... It was that great self-deprecating great, humor. Great humor and, yeah. and had the audience absolutely, you know, just laughing through the whole thing. Well, he is... Uh as I told you earlier, you know, uh, I teared up at many times reading this book and, and miss him greatly. And yeah. um, so glad that there's the Pat Conroy Literary Center, actually. Oh, me You want to talk about that just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, after Pat died, uh, I, there was a delegation that kind of talked to me from, you know, from the city as to what, what 
should be done to honor their most famous person, you know, their most famous writer. And um, so they were talking about putting a statue in the waterfront park. And I said, no, absolutely not. And I really didn't tell them why, but one time Pat and I were traveling and we were in a small town that had a statue of their, you know, uh, person that was their famous person in town. And, and Pat said, don't ever let them do that from me because that will give the critics a chance, the pigeons a chance to do what the <laughs> critics have been doing. <laughs> That's great. And, and uh, yeah, I thought that was great. So, but we wanted a living legacy. And um, uh, Pat's agent, Marley Russoff, one of the founders or the, the initial founder of the law. Right. She's, she's one yeah. of the greats. She's, yes, absolutely. And so she suggested a, a literary center. And we, so we started a nonprofit and it's just really grown. It's wonderful. We do all sorts of programs and this is exactly what Pam would And want. are there writers, is it a writing, are there writing workshops? There's there? writing workshops. We bring writers in, you know, to, have readings and so forth. It's just how can people find out about it? We have um, a wonderful website. It's patconroyliterarycenter.org. All written as, as one word. I'm sure you just Google Pat Conroy Literary Center and you know get it that way. Well, I, I wonder if you would take a minute and um, read a short excerpt from the book because I love I love the voice okay. of it so much. Mitch, I'm going to read. I've had folks ask me since the book came out how, or even before, certainly, how, how Pat and I made it, you know, when both of us had broken relationships and, you know, been around the block a few times and so, so forth. So uh, these are a couple of things I think just uh, – skip around a bit, but that would uh, give you an idea of that. It would soon become clear to me that Pat was not your run-of-the-mill husband, and I mean that in the best possible way. He didn't question my whereabouts if I ran late or accuse me of running around on him. But even more important to me, he didn't demand my undivided attention and devotion, which was just as well since he wasn't likely to get it. He had my devotion, but attention was another matter. Most of the time, a writer lives in his, her own little world, creating plots and timelines and characters, which can cause problems in a relationship. It's difficult to be intimate with someone whose mind is elsewhere. Pat had more than one relationship fall apart, he told me, because he spent too much time in his other world and not enough with his companion. Made sense to me since I was peculiar in that way. As well, because of our peculiarity, sometimes I wonder if writers should only marry other writers. The more obvious Pat's quirks became, the happier it made me that our idiosyncrasies were compatible with each other. When they weren't, that was okay too. Doing our own thing might have worked for us, but it tended to bother others. You're leaving Pat alone for a whole month? One of my friends screeched when my first big book tour came up. Have you lost your mind? understood what she was saying. There were certainly times when our schedules bothered Pat and me as well. One time, Pat surprised me when I told him, laughing, that my ex went on a hunger strike any time I had to be away from home. 
Can't blame him, Pat muttered. I hate it when you're not here. I want you with me all the time. I was aghast. He'd not only encouraged me to do do book promotions, he'd said I had no choice. Occupational hazard. When I said I'd much rather be home, his response was too bad. He'd said he'd also would rather be home, but as writers, we were obligated to promote our books. I wondered if he'd been teasing about being unhappy when I was away. With Pat, it was impossible to tell. He always left notes for me to find on my return, some sweet and others joking. He wrote, Welcome home, darling. You were sorely missed. I fixed dinner and will come back and cook it. I missed you. But the next time his note read, Welcome back from the West Coast tour. There's boiled shrimp and ketchup and horseradish sauce in the refrigerator. I'm in the bedroom becoming gay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Cassandra, thank you so much for being here on The Literary Life and for giving us a glimpse into your life with, um, with Pat Conroy. The book is Tell Me a Story, My Life with Pat Conroy, and all of you out there are in for a treat. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me.